Well, we have had a great week of VBS uh, here at Bell Shoals. I want to thank all of you who served in some capacity, uh, prayed for, encouraged uh, our, our children and our leaders. It was an amazing week. We had uh, 1,081 kids. We had over 350 volunteers. And we raised $7,000 this week for local missions. And uh, we're super excited about uh, all that God has done. Uh, no doubt. Uh, there were uh, many decisions made. There, there's a lot of conversations yet to be had as we follow up with these children and their families in the coming weeks. And here's what's going to happen over the next six to nine months. We're going to have people coming to publicly profess their faith in Jesus through baptism who tell us nine months from now, I was saved at Vacation Bible School or my family was impacted through Vacation Bible School. So we don't, we don't yet fully know all that God has done but uh, it was an amazing week. Again, I just wanna thank you for your encouragement, uh, your prayers and your generosity to make it happen. I especially wanna thank uh, our next gen pastor, Bruce Roberts and his team with Jennifer Flynn and Steph Spate. They uh, led the charge and did amazing work. Uh, just so grateful for them. And I don't know how many kids we have with us today, but the girls beat the boys in uh, our little competition. Beat the boys, so. Not a huge shock, although last year, for the first time in the history of Christianity, the boys won. Uh, I don't know how they won last year. I don't know if it was rigged. I have never, ever known the boys to win anywhere in the history of Christendom, okay? But the boys won last year and the girls came back this year and took care of business and it was awesome. So we just had a lot of fun and uh, obviously uh, taught the word of God and, and shared the gospel, talked about missions and how these kids can uh, be a blessing to the nations one day. So anyway, it was just a great week. So I just wanna thank you for uh, all that you've done. We do events like VBS because we have a mission and a mandate to get the gospel to everyone we can while there is still time. And events like VBS give us tremendous opportunities for gospel engagement. Uh, you may have noticed when you came in today, or maybe you'll notice as you leave today, out in our lobby, we have a, 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 a spot set up for our Riverview campus. Here in a couple of months, we will launch uh, our fourth campus in the Riverview community. And, and we're investing in new campuses in different parts of our community because we believe as we have more locations, there will be more people who hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. And if you're new to Bell Shoals and you live in the Riverview area, I'd love for you to stop by uh, our Riverview campus area as you leave today and uh, just get to know some of our team there. We'd love to have you be involved in what God is doing there. We launch on September 10th and uh, we just have the, 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 the best possible location and facility. We're super excited. We launch campuses because we have a mission to get the gospel to everyone we can while there is still time. Uh, last week, we actually sent one of our members overseas for the next two years, full-time, serving as a missionary. Can't announce her name because of the part of the world she's going to. We launch missionaries all over the world because we believe that we have a mission to get the gospel to people everywhere while there is still time. And we're in a teaching series on the life of Jonah. And last week, we talked about 
how our lives ultimately have meaning as we tether them to our mission. Not that all of us are called to be full-time ministers or missionaries, but listen, every single one of us have received a mandate from Jesus to share our stories, to be his witnesses, and to help carry the gospel as best we can to the nations while there is still time. And our lives ultimately have meaning as we tether them to this mission. Now, here's what's unique about Jonah. Jonah was a full-time prophet. Jonah came through the internship program of his local church. <laughs> like he had a calling on his life, right? To be God's voice and to share God's word with the nation of Israel in his day. And Jonah did that. But the moment God said, I want you to share it with some people outside of Israel, Jonah's like, I'm out. And God told Jonah to share a message of judgment actually and the other side of that coin is a message of salvation. If they'll turn from the impending judgment, then God will save them. And Jonah's like, I'm not taking a message of judgment and salvation to Nineveh. That was the city, the capital of the Assyrian empire because they were a ruthless, violent people. They were the enemies of Israel. And Jonah says, I'd literally rather go to the other side of the world than go to where God has called me to go. And that's exactly what Jonah does. He flees to go to the farthest distance he could possibly travel to in his known world. He's trying to literally get to the end of Spain and he's trying to get as far away from God as he possibly can. We saw last week that Jonah is actually not running from Nineveh, he's running from God. And he says, I'm out, God. I don't wanna take the message of the gospel to those people. We're gonna see over the next couple of weeks that Jonah knows that as he preaches judgment to these people whose wickedness is so profound that if they repent and they turn to God, he'll save them. And Jonah's like, I'm not even gonna run that risk. So he takes off on a boat, headed to Spain, the farthest point on the map during his day and God intercepts him in the middle of the sea with a storm. And when we left off last week, we saw Jonah cast out of the boat into the sea in order to save the lives of those who were on the ship with him. And this week, here's what I want you to see as we press on in this historical situation. I want you to see that God's mercy brings the rebellious to repentance. Now here's the twist. We started out thinking about God bringing the rebellious Ninevites to repentance. And now in a crazy plot twist, we're talking about Jonah. I mean, how crazy is that? That the, that the focal point of the story now shifts from the judgment announced to the Assyrians to um, the, the rebellious Assyrians receiving a word about the need for repentance. And now, the focus of the story is gonna, is, is, is gonna reside on the full-time prophet who in his rebellion is running. But what was true of the Assyrian people is also true of Jonah. God's mercy brings the rebellious to repentance. And it's gonna seem strange that now we're talking about Jonah. Jonah shouldn't be the one we have to talk about here, but he is because he's the one 
who's the focal point saying, God, I'm not going to do what you want me to do. I'm not going to carry out my life's mission. And so what we're going to see is that his life in its rebellion is about to be intercepted by God's mercy in order to bring him to repentance. Here's what I want you to know today. That God loves you so much that he will do some radical things to bring you to repentance and the joy of obedience. I've got several takeaways here just about the deep, deep love and mercy of God in your life, how God's mercy brings the rebellious to repentance, whether it's the Assyrian people or one of his own prophets. And here's the first thing I want you to see today, okay? God loves you so much. He will do some radical things to bring you to repentance and the joy of obedience. And so if you're running from God, take note. If you're one of his children, he will not let you sin successfully. If you're running from God today and you're one of his children, rest assured, there's a storm on the horizon. And here's a warning for all of us in in all of our seasons where we look to run from God, okay? When we run the other direction, God is going to do whatever he has to do to bring us to repentance and the joy of obedience. Now, those of you who are parents understand this dynamic, right? Because you're practicing this from, oh, two years old until, I don't know, well, it's indefinite. <laughs> but yeah, and you get it when your kids are little. There's some things you have to do to get their attention and show them the foolishness of their waywardness and disobedience. And I just want you to understand your heavenly father loves you so much that he will do some radical things to get you to repent from your rebellion and to rediscover the joy of obedience. Here's what God does in Jonah's life. We see at the very end of chapter one, verse 17. Now the Lord had arranged for a great fish to swallow Jonah and Jonah was inside the fish for three days and three nights. I think being swallowed by a fish and kept there for three days and three nights qualifies as a radical action. Would you agree with that? (laughs) When we left Jonah last week, he'd been thrown off the side of the boat, plunged into the water. And now this week we see this, this, this uh, actually most controversial verse in all the Bible perhaps that God has prepared a fish to swallow him. And he's gonna live in that fish three days and three nights. God will do some radical things in your life to bring you to repentance and the joy of obedience. He does it for Jonah. And this is without question, one of, if not the most controversial verse in all the Bible. You will hear people say, well, there's no way this happened historically. It's just um, a, a, a spiritual metaphor to talk about what God will do to bring you to himself. Well, here, here's the problem with that. It's not presented as metaphor. It's never historically been understood as metaphor. It's been understood as historical. 
I remember years ago, many years ago now, I was um, doing some Christmas shopping actually for our family. And I, I came across um, a, a young lady who was helping me get some stuff for the kids. And, and she told me that she was a student at a seminary that I knew did not teach or believe the historicity of the Bible. And I said, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I said, so um, give me an example then of how you all like see the Bible. And I was trying to play dumb. That's not overly difficult for me. And, and I'm, you know, didn't tell her I'm a pastor or anything like that. I just said, hey, yeah, tell me how that works. And, and he, immediately here's what she said to me. She said, oh, it's like Jonah. He wasn't actually swallowed by a fish. That's just something that's in the Bible to help us understand, you know, what God will do to, to, to get our attention kind of thing. But that didn't actually happen. Immediately, first thing out of her mouth. To which I said, oh yeah, I know, I totally, I totally get that. I see, I see what you're saying. But now, now I've been in church a little bit. And um, if I remember, didn't Jesus say as Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. So do you think Jesus misunderstood the Old Testament? And she looked at me, and to her credit, she said, you know, I've never thought about that. And I said, you ought to think about that. Because either Jesus misunderstood the Old Testament and thus is not the Son of God, or he is the son of God and he rightly cites Jonah as historical. Now, let me just tell you where I am today in case you don't know me very well. Um, I don't think Jesus got it wrong. <laughs> I think Jesus got it right. What Jonah 1.17 describes for us is historical. You say, well, how can that happen? Well, let me say it to you this way, because it's a good question. It's a fair question. God preparing a fish to swallow Jonah in which Jonah lives for three days and three nights was actually easier for God to do than creating the heavens and the earth out of nothing. And placing the earth in such a strategic position as it revolves around the sun that we have life, sustained life on this planet, right? Like actually what God did for Jonah was easier than what he did for the entirety of the human race. As I said last week, if you can get past Genesis 1-1, the rest of what God has done in human history is not problematic because the God who created all things out of no thing is a God who can part the Red Sea so the children of Israel walk on dry ground. It's a God who can protect the three Hebrew children in the fiery furnace. It's a God who can heal the lame and the deaf and the blind. And yes, a God who can raise the dead. And this God is the God who prepared a fish for Jonah. You see, this is not difficult for God. And whether it was an existing fish that just happened to be in the area that God providentially used or whether, listen, I'm open to this. God may have just made a unique fish just for this exact moment. A fish that left the light on for Jonah. You know what I mean? Like that had all the accommodations required for Jonah. It's obviously miraculous, but the miraculous is not difficult for God. And so notice what, 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 what the scripture says here. The Lord doesn't just use, that's not the word. The Lord appoints a fish for Jonah. No, 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 God is working 
strategically and providentially. This isn't just God used it. No, no, God appointed a fish. Why? Because God's mercy brings the rebellious to repentance. And God's mercy is such that he will do some radical things in your life to bring you to repentance and the joy of obedience, even if it means he needs to prepare a fish, which is what he did for Jonah. And it's a reminder to us that when we encounter various hardships in life, we need to take inventory as to why. And so again, if you're taking notes, just jot these down. Let me give you three types of storms we face. Three, I think, ways that God's working in our lives. First of all, there's what I call suffering storms, okay? Suffering storms. Hardship, suffering that comes through no fault of your own. It's just simply suffering that is the result of the brokenness of our world. The brokenness of our bodies. Sometimes we have health issues. Sometimes we deal with tragedy. Sometimes we have hardship. It's not through anything we've done, no disobedience. We're not running from God. Listen, we live in a fallen, broken world. And sometimes that brokenness intersects with our life. Sometimes, as we talked about last week, we might have the wrong people in the boat with us. And so sometimes there's what I call suffering. There's suffering, there's hardship, no fault of our own. We just live in a broken world. And sometimes that brokenness intersects with our lives. We have examples of this uh, throughout human history. Jesus talked about um, the, 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 the uh, uh, tower that, that fell. And he, he talked about the Tower of Siloam and he talked about tragedies, hardships that happen and it's through no fault of your own. We live in a fallen, broken world where tragedy happens. Secondly, write this down. Then there are what I call perfecting storms perfecting storm. There, there are suffering storms. You're, you're in a season where it's hard, difficult, you're suffering, um, no fault of your own. The brokenness of the world is intersecting with the brokenness in you. Okay. But secondly, there's what we call perfecting storms. Now this is different. Why? Because these are storms that surface in your life because God is pruning you and God is preparing you for something greater. These were the storms encountered by Job and Joseph. God is strengthening you. He's pruning you. He's, he's preparing you for something great. By the way, this is a storm that the apostle Paul encountered. 2 Corinthians 12, he talks about this. Notice what he says here. This is so important. He says, so to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh. A messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Three times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time the Lord said, no, Paul, my grace is all that you need. My power works best in weakness. In other words, I'm allowing this so that you can lean in more and more and more to my power. So Paul says, now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. This is not a suffering storm in his life. This is a perfecting storm. God is allowing something in his life to perfect him, to mature him, to grow him, to lean into God's power. Paul says, this helped me not to lean into my pride. There are suffering storms, there are perfecting storms. And then thirdly, make a note of this, there are correcting storms. This is what I dedicated my life to when my children were two and three years old. I was tasked by the Lord to bring correcting storms. Some of you would call this the woodshed, right? <laughs> Many of you have no idea what that is. You should know. 
In fact, we're going to have a seminar on this next week, uh, right after our 11 o'clock service. No, this is a correcting storm. You know what a correcting storm is? This is something that God is using in your life in a disciplinary way, the way that you would lovingly and graciously but firmly discipline a child. God does that for his children. A correcting storm is intended to change your behavior or your trajectory and get you back where you need to be. And this is precisely the storm that Jonah has encountered. We go through sometimes hardship and suffering, not our own fault. It's just we live in a broken, fallen world. Sometimes we go through perfecting storms. Man, God is allowing someone or something in your life to strengthen you, grow you, mature you, so that he can better use you in the days to come. But then, listen to me, there are correcting storms. Sometimes there are storms that come into your life because of your own stupidity. You're running away from God. You're doing things your own way and God loves you enough. He's not gonna let you succeed in that. He loves you enough. He's gonna intersect you in your rebellion and he's gonna work to bring you to repentance. You see, God's mercy brings the rebellious to repentance. And in this sense, listen to me carefully, this is a good trouble in your life. You say, well, I'm embarrassed. Welcome to the club. You say, man, this is really tough. Yeah, it was tough for Jonah. Embarrassing. But sometimes God's love and mercy is such that he will bring us to repentance, to rediscover the joy of obedience. And and this is a good kind of trouble. And God's gonna work to bring you back to him. So listen, if you're running from God today and right now you're successful in it, just take note of this. He's not going to let you run forever. He may let you get to Joppa. He may let you pay the fare. He may let you get on the boat. He may let you get out into the middle of the sea. But you're not making it to Spain. And you know why you're not making it to Spain? Because your heavenly father loves you. And if you're running from him today and you're not where you need to be, I'm just telling you, I'm lovingly warning you, there is a storm on your horizon. And it's not a perfecting storm, it's a correcting storm. And God will do some radical things in your life to bring you to repentance and the joy of obedience. We shouldn't test the Lord, right? And so this is where Jonah is. Jonah is in a place where God's brought a correcting storm. However, okay, let me give you the second takeaway. This is huge. What first appears in his life to be a circumstance of misery is in fact a contingency of mercy. And this is how God works in the lives of his children. Even though there's a correcting storm that's going to get Jonah's attention and get him back to where he needs to be, he's gonna come to repentance. He's gonna rediscover the joy of obedience. But in order for Jonah to get there, he is gonna be in a miserable situation, swallowed by a fish, living in that horrific condition for three days and three nights. But lean in here, see it for what it is. What first looks like a condition of Misery, a circumstance of misery is actually a contingency of mercy. That's how Jonah saw it. You say, ah, man, I don't know. Living in the belly of a fish three days and three nights, that's pretty radical. I mean, yeah, 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 it is. But you know what? It's better than death. And Jonah came to see, listen, 
what we're gonna see next is something that he actually declared to the Lord while he's in the belly of the fish. I mean, I don't know to what extent he could move. I'm pretty sure it didn't smell very good. I'm pretty sure it was uncomfortable. I'm pretty sure it was dark. I'm pretty sure he was antsy and anxious about how long he was gonna be in there. But as he is in there, he comes to understand that that fish is a contingency of God's mercy in his life. You see, we often think of what happened to Jonah as well. The, they, they tossed him over the side of the ship as he told them to do. He's like, there's no other solution here for this storm. It's a correcting storm. I'm paraphrasing here, of course, but it's a correcting storm for me. Jonah tells the other sailors on the ship, listen, there's no relief until you throw me over the side of the boat. They finally do. We often think, here's what happened. Jonah hit the water. The fish comes and swallows him. And then he's in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That is not what happened. VeggieTales has lied to you. Okay, no. Now here's what happened. Here's what you definitely won't see in any kind of animation of this because it's kind of horrific. Jonah's struggling above the waterline for as long as he can. Doesn't appear that he's a very good swimmer. He's going down, trying to come back up, going down, trying to come back up, gasping for oxygen. Eventually he goes down. He's not coming back up. And as literally, he's underneath the water for what will be without God's intervention the last time, his brain finally clicks and he understands that the problem here is not God, but him. Now, isn't it sad it took that long for him to get that? But I told you last week, sin will make you stupid and it will. And as he's underneath that water for what he thinks will be for the very last time, as the final bit of oxygen is processing through his lungs, as he still has some sanity in his brain, his thoughts turn to the Lord. And that the Lord is good. And the Lord is his hope. And for all of his rebellion and all of his running that's gotten him where he is right now, where he is no doubt convinced he's going to die, his final thoughts turn to the Lord. And at that moment, he is swallowed miraculously by a fish and he finds himself, although in a horrible situation, a situation where his life is preserved. And guess what? It was better than the alternative. And in that situation, let me show you what Jonas says. I just want you to see from Jonah's own testimony. This is not, he hits the water and the fish comes. No, this is, Jonah hits the water and at some point thereafter, Jonah sinks in the water. He is dying and he is going to die. Here's what he said. From inside the fish, looking back on what transpired, verse one, he says this, he prays this. It's poetic in the original language. This is like a song he puts together after he gets out of the fish. He says, inside the fish, here's what happened. He said, look at this, verse two, I cried out to the Lord in my great trouble and he answered me. Jonah's like, don't look at the fish as like problematic or uncomfortable or some, um, you know, circumstance of misery. No, it's a vessel of mercy. 
I called out to the Lord and he answered me. I, I, I called to you from the land of the dead and Lord, you heard me. You threw me into the ocean depths. I sank down to the heart of the sea. The mighty waters engulfed me. I was buried beneath your wild and stormy waves. And then I said, <laughs> I'm like, dude, I, why did it take you so long? Why didn't you say this while you were still on the boat? Sin makes you stupid. So he says there beneath the waterline, Lord, you've driven me from your presence. Here it is now. But I will look once more toward your holy temple. And I sank beneath the waves and the waters closed over me. Seaweed wrapped itself around my head. I sank down to the very roots of the mountains. I was imprisoned in the earth whose gates locked shut forever. But you, O Lord, my God, snatched me from the jaws of death. And as my life was slipping away, I remembered the Lord. And my earnest prayer went out to you in your holy temple. For those who worship false gods, turn their back on all of God's mercies. You see, it was in the belly of the fish that Jonah prays to, to the Lord. He calls out to the Lord and he says, God, I thank you for this vessel of mercy. I was dying. My life was um, moments from being gone, but yet here you have preserved me. Here you have spared me. And, and we learn that so often in our lives, what first appears to be a circumstance of misery is actually a contingency of mercy. Have you had that experience? Where in the moment you were miserable, but looking back on it, you were able to clearly see not misery, but mercy. The correcting storm was meant to get you back where you needed to be. And this is how God works in your life. You see, God's mercy brings the rebellious to repentance. He will do some radical things to get you where you need to be. And yes, even what appears to be miserable is actually merciful as our father is doing whatever he has to do to get us back to himself and his mission for our lives. And, and here's the hope that we have today. Last takeaway, all right? God's mercy is deep enough to meet us at the lowest points in our lives. Aren't you thankful for that? God's mercy is deep enough to meet us even at the lowest points in our lives. And there in the middle of the sea, sinking for the last time, Jonah rediscovered the mercy of God. And yes, the mercy of God was sufficient to meet him where he was, even in that horrible place where he was drowning. And so Jonah says this, last part of chapter two. Here's what he says. So I will offer sacrifices, Lord, to you with songs of praise. He's saying this while he's in the belly of the fish and I will fulfill all my vows for my salvation comes from the Lord alone. Here's what Jonah is saying. He's saying there in the belly of the fish, okay, God, you got my attention. <laughs> okay, God, I'm with you now. God, thank you for sparing my life. God, I, I, was, I was falling into the deep, wrapped around seaweed, 
out down to the roots of the mountains, but yet, God, you have saved me. You have spared me. God, you have delivered me from this deep. And long before he was ever expelled back onto dry land, Jonah says this, so God, I will sing your praise. God, I will, I will offer my sacrifice of praise to you. This reminds me of Paul and Silas in prison saying, God, hey, uh, we don't deserve to be here. This actually was not a correcting storm. It was just actually a storm that came as a result of, 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 of their faithfulness to the gospel, but God's gonna use it. And what do they do? They start breaking out in praise. And God brings revival. Jonah's like that. They're in the belly of the fish. He's like, okay, Lord. Man, I'm gonna bring my praise. You know what Jonah did in the belly of the fish? Some of you are like, I bet, well, I bet he got mad. I bet he was bitter. I bet he was like, you know, fed up with the stink and all. No, 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 Jonah was getting his praise on. Jonah recognized that fish was not a condition of misery. That fish was a vessel of mercy. And he discovered afresh and anew that God's mercy is deep enough to meet us at the lowest points in our lives. Jonah said, I will bring a sacrifice of praise to you. Here's what Jonah came to understand in the discomfort of that fish. You and I should get this too. That God preserves our lives for a greater purpose. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. God brings correcting storms into our lives, not to punish us, but to sanctify us and to prepare us for what's next. No father should discipline a child out of hatred or anger. No, he says, the author of Hebrews, your heavenly father will discipline you in love to get you from where you shouldn't be to where you should be. Jonah comes to understand this. There in the belly of the fish. The belly of the fish is not a bad thing. It's a good thing. God has spared him from death. And there in that situation, he discovers afresh and anew that God's mercy is deep enough to meet us where we are. And that prompts him to say, I love this. Salvation comes from the Lord. Did you notice the last word there? Alone. Here's the encouragement to you and me today. In those seasons we run from God, in those seasons we resist our life's mission and push back against our life's meaning. Listen, God's gonna do whatever he has to do to get our attention and get us back to the joy of our salvation, the joy of obedience. God's mercy brings the rebellious to repentance. Ironic here, isn't it, that the rebellious is Jonah. But even in the lives of his own children, God's gonna... He's going to work. In fact, he's going to work more profoundly in the lives of his children. He's not going to let us sin successfully. And in those moments, we come to understand that the only hope we have in this world is found in the Lord alone. And so much of our lives are spent on so many secondary things, good things, by the way, blessings, privileges, joys, comforts, Man, we live in uh, the greatest nation. We, 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 we are so richly blessed, you know, but there are so many people around us that are living for earthly comforts, power, attention, prominence, you name it. But can I just give you a good word? Can you listen, listen here to what Jonah is saying? When you find yourself drowning in the deep of your disobedience or your waywardness, when you find yourself where Jonah found himself, your earthly comforts will be of no value to you. 
When you find yourself contemplating the meaning of your life and, 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 and the future, your eternal state, your power and wealth will be of no use to you. When you find yourself overwhelmed with grief, overwhelmed with hopelessness, overwhelmed maybe from the fallout of your stupidity like Jonah, when you find yourself drowning in the deep of something that you brought on yourself, when you find yourself heading toward the end of your life and you look back like Solomon and you see a lot of vanity, however this situation may come to you, if you get to this point where you feel like you're drowning in despair, listen to Jonah. Your earthly comforts won't be there for you. Power and privilege and wealth and significance and attention and popularity, they won't be there to save you. They won't meet you in the deep, but God's mercy will. God's mercy will meet you there. God's mercy will bring hope to you because this world is not all there is and this world is not the end. God's mercy will meet you where you are even when you're running from him. And if you'll lean into God's mercy today, he will save you, he will encourage you, he will sustain you, and he will continue to work in your life to get you focused, not on temporal things, but eternal things. And when you live for eternal things, then all of the temporal things can be enjoyed with the proper perspective and truly enjoyed. Not as ultimate things, but as secondary things that help you give glory to the one who has saved you and has secured eternity for you. And that's what Jonah discovers here, there in the belly of the fish. This is not a vessel of misery. This is a means of mercy for God to get his attention, to turn him around, to get his heart in the right place. And that's what happens with Jonah there in the belly of the fish. I know it's sad that it took all that, but he finally got there. And he says, God's salvation comes from you alone. Nothing else met Jonah there in the belly of the fish but God's mercy. And I want you to know today, if you don't know Jesus as your savior, you don't have confidence in your salvation, that your sin is forgiven and you have eternal life. I have good news for you today. Through Jesus and what he has done for you, his deep mercy will meet you where you are. You don't have to clean yourself up first. God's mercy will meet you where you are. You're a child of God already. You're one of his sons or daughters, but you find your heart kind of like Jonah's at times, maybe even right now. I have good news for you today. Stop running. Don't bring the correcting storm upon yourself. Before it gets to that point, turn to the Lord today and do whatever you have to do to get your heart right with him because he loves you and his mercy will meet you where you are. This is the love of our father, his mercy deep enough to meet us at the lowest points of our lives. His mercy, bringing the rebellious to repentance and the joy of obedience. This is the work of God and the lives of his children. He's not gonna let us sin successfully. And God has accomplished all of this through our greater Jonah, who is Jesus. Because Jesus said this in Matthew 12. He said, only an evil, adulterous generation would demand a miraculous sign. They wanted some magic trick from Jesus to prove that he was the Messiah. Jesus said, you want a sign? You, you want evidence that I am who I say I am? Here's the evidence I'm about to lay on the table. The sign of Jonah that had been like, huh? 
Here's what Jesus said, verse 40. For as Jonah was in the belly of that great fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And Jesus, not long after that, went into the heart of the earth, crucified, dead for our transgression, our sin. He died in our place. The wrath of God poured out on him instead of on us. But on the third day, he rose from the dead. He came out of the deep. He secured our victory and salvation so that everyone who trusts in him can know forgiveness and freedom, the hope of eternal life. God's mercy meets us where we are. And salvation belongs to him and him alone. Amen. That's the hope that we have today. That is the hope that we have. I want you to know I'm gonna be out in our lobby today as you leave. I'd love to connect with you, help you take your next step. If you don't know this grace and mercy, and if you do, hey, let's lean into it, Bell Shoals, a people of grace and mercy. We serve a God who meets us where we are. We are who we are because of his grace and mercy in our lives. And he has a great plan and a great purpose for every single one of us. I believe that. And together, we can accomplish more than we could ever accomplish on our own as we carry out our mission to get the gospel everywhere we can before it's too late.